Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Forever. Welcome, everybody. This is Godcast. I am God, and we have a show for you today. It has begun. It will continue until it's ending, and it will last for the amount of time indicated as its duration on the podcast app of your choice. And now, let's continue filling time on the show. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is God, the Lord Almighty, King of the Universe. This is Godcast. That was the cold open of the show you just heard that got you ready to hear the rest of the show. It got you mentally prepared. And now, hopefully, you are prepared to enjoy the body of the show with me and my lovely sidekick, Joan Navarro. Hello, Joan. Hi. Hi, my Lord. Joan? Yeah, I'm here. Joan, what's... uh? You sound... You don't sound good. What's going on? I I am confused, my lord. I am troubled because this week someone died. And normally when someone dies, I feel sad. Mm-hmm. But this time, a man named Rush Limbaugh died, and I was positively giddy. And then... I got confused because I know I'm supposed to be sad. I went to confession. I prayed. I, (sighs) my Lord, I don't know what to feel. Is it okay to be happy when someone has died? Oh, Joan. Joan, Joan, Joan. What you're feeling is perfectly natural. It's natural to feel ebullient and ecstatic when an evil bastard dies. That's part of life. What you're feeling is something called schadenfreude. It's a feeling that you get when something bad happens to somebody who fucking deserves it. You're experiencing this for the first time. These feelings are perfectly natural. Rush Limbaugh was a bastard. Good riddance? I say great riddance. So it's totally fine for you to feel this way. I don't want you to have any guilt. I don't want you to have any reservations. It is a good thing that this person is no longer walking the earth. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I feel so much better now. I can celebrate his death the way that I want. That's right. That's right. I'm so glad. <laughs> this is... <sighs> yeah, you can go on. You can go, hey, you have another one of your goat yoga classes, which I saw that you had the first of this weekend, that goat you yoga mean stuff. Baby. Baby goat yoga. Sure, baby goat yoga. Goat yoga would be painful and loud, but these these were sweet little baby goats that walked all over us while we did yoga. And that helped. That helped you relax. I know you do headspace also, and that works for you. Mm-hmm. This was also helpful. Oh yeah, yes. These baby goats make people so happy. You know, in ancient uh, India, and even I think medieval India, the Buddhist uh, fakirs they would do elephant yoga. No. This is baby goat yoga. 
No, no, I know. I know. The elephant, you'll get the point, was not so much to relax. But a baby elephant is still friggin' big. No, that's the point. They would they would do the elephant yoga and they would they would generally Oh, that's cray. They would generally die. It was not it was not meditation, it was a sentence. It was a punishment. Hmm. I'm not doing that. Yeah. No, stick with goat yoga. You look good. Let's move on to the next segment. Prayer of the week. Prayer of the week. Joan Sakatumi. Our prayer today comes to us from Paisley Duck, also known as at Contrary Beak on Twitter. Uh, they left this review on Apple Podcasts with a five-star review. Thank you very much, at Contrary Beak. And the prayer is, Dear God, if you could please have my relatives lay off trying to console me about being alone after my divorce, hmm. that'd be a big help. Okay, so this woman just got a divorce and she's saying her relatives keep trying to console her, and mm-hmm. she's asking me to ask them to stop it because it's annoying. Right. Because she's going to be fine. Yeah. Because she's a big, strong woman, and she's all that in a bag of chips. Exactly. I understand. Okay. I think specifically, the person to whom she's referring most is not her mom or her dad, but her Aunt Claudia. Aunt Claudia is being a real patronizing pain in the ass on this one. Mm. Aunt Claudia is calling her every day and saying, are you doing okay at Contrary Beak? Do you want to get a coffee at Contrary Beak? Can I buy you a dinner at Contrary Beak? And it's really annoying. I will talk to Aunt Claudia. I don't want to have to go so far as to give her a heart attack to stop this situation. Oh, no, don't kill her. She didn't ask to kill her relatives. To be fair, she didn't ask not to. She just said, have my relatives lay off trying to console me. She didn't limit the means by which she wanted that to happen. Right. She just wants mind control, not death. Death is mind control, Joan. And once, once you kill somebody, their mind is controlled forever. So I may visit Aunt Claudia. And depending on how I feel, I'm going to do it right after the show. I may just give her an internal spiritual metaphysical talking to, or I may give her a coronary. I don't know. Hmm. But in either case, the prayer is going to be answered. All of her relatives, mom, dad, and certainly Aunt Claudia, are going to stop consoling her about being alone after her divorce. So I hope that answers uh, the prayer in a positive way. And that is it. I am done doing anything any human being asks me to do for the next 168 hours. Amen. That was Prayer of the Week. Prayer of the Week. My guest today has quite possibly eaten more different kinds of my creation than any man alive. As creator and host of Travel Channel's remarkably successful Bizarre Foods franchise, he has devoted his life to exploring and promoting cultural acceptance, tolerance, and understanding through food. And he's currently working to save restaurants affected by COVID-19, particularly that cozy little Italian place right around the corner. Please welcome Andrew Zimmer. Andrew, thanks for coming. Of course. Thank you for having me. You are a man with a mouth after my own heart. Oh, thank you. You, you understand that when I created these animals, I created them out of meat for a reason. And equally, I should say. Yes, and equally, yes. They're, they're all made out of meat. Even the insects, even the birds, they, they're, they're all made out of meat. Mm-hmm. What do you think manna was? This is fascinating to me because I never thought I'd be having this conversation with the person that I should have been looking for the answer all the time. I get that all the time, Andrew. No, no problem. I was, in, I was in the Levant and I was in a, a 
uh, spice market that is thousands of years old. And we actually got these small little crystallites that form in the desert from what are edible sugars. And they were very expensive, but my translator said that the, the, the local people and the, the Berbers and the nomads who traverse the desert sands on camels trading and have for thousands of years believe this to be the, the, the manna from heaven, that it was this silicate that formed from these weird rain showers that coagulated these minerals and it tastes sweet. You can suck on them and crack them in your mouth. And I, I, I believe that a lot of the, the ancient foods and ancient food rituals exist because the most obvious reason for them to exist is the, is the true one. And if I was in the ancient world and there was a storm and there were lightning strikes out in the desert, and then we, were, we, we followed that lightning was and we found the next morning when the sun came up, these dry, they look like little broken pieces of shell. I would, I would want to say that's manna from heaven too. So that's, that's the best that I got for you. That is a great theory. That makes a lot of sense. That would seem to be correct. The actual answer is donuts, chocolate-based oh, donuts. Oh, shit. I knew it. I feel ripped off because that seriously was going to be my second answer. Uh, uh, well, I, I know it was. I read people's minds, and I know that was your second choice, so don't feel too bad. But I, it was chocolate-glazed donuts, the donuts, because they're not too hard. So when they fell from 20,000 feet, they didn't cause too much damage to the human skull. Yep. No, Okay. Before you went around the world eating lots of food, you were a chef. You created food. You are you were a chef. Still am a chef. You, you still are a chef. Uh, you, yes, you were best known as a chef back in back in the nineties in Minneapolis. So I have to ask you: Did you ever meet or serve Prince? Uh, yes. What was that like? Did he appreciate your cooking? Uh, yes, and I, I actually lived out near him for a while and got to go to Paisley Park for a lot of those uh, fun parties, which was very strange because I, I came here to the Twin Cities to get sober, and I've stayed sober, and uh, it's now been, uh, my next anniversary will be 30 years, so it's a long time. So as a, as a sober person, at four in the morning, when you're standing around a party and a lot of people are having a lot of fun and you're waiting for Prince to come out and play you really are questioning what you're doing, what, what business you have being there. <laughs> then Prince would come out and start playing with a million iterations of his band and young artists that were one and done. They played that night with him. He just wanted to play with them or people who went on to be produced with him or he would incorporate into his band. Um, but some of the most fun nights that I've had in my 60 years on planet earth were spent in the middle of the night out at Paisley park. I have a very funny print story for you. I was with my lawyer and consigliere and he was giving a presentation to some fortune 500 companies and they had rented out Paisley park because the, there was a big room there that was more fun and more unusual and uh, could be very private. And, and he and a couple of people were giving a version of a TED talk there. And I was standing in the wings and I had this creepy feeling like someone was watching me. And I remember looking up straight up and on this little spiral staircase, this little metal staircase that was going up into the upper reaches of the stage. Cause he, the Paisley park had a big uh, stage fully kitted out. You could put on a Broadway show there and up in the ropes in the tippy top of this theater ceiling, uh, was Prince just sitting there, his knees up under his chin. Uh, and he wasn't a very big guy, just listening, just fascinated. And I remember him just looking down at me and kind of gave me that like chin out move where it's like, what's up? You know, and I'm just like, I, I gave him the chin move back because we didn't, neither one of us wanted to talk. And I was just like, 
I went back to my business of listening to my friend give his speech. And I was just like, is this really happening? Am I, am I, you know, doing, yo, Prince, what's up? I cooked for Bob Dylan's mother too on her birthday. Mrs. Zimmerman. Correct. Yes. Uh, you do know everything, don't you? I do know everything. That was a really, I don't know why that made me so nervous. Like I wanted her to go back and, and tell one of my heroes, you know, top five all time that, that, Andrew Guy at, at Cafe and de Trois, the restaurant that I was a partner and chef in at the time, we had a great birthday meal because uh, Dylan picked up the, the tab and we were all like, you know, excited and, you know, I was so thrilled. Maybe he'll stop by. But it was her and eight of her friends. Wow. It was a, a, a bunch of Jewish grandmas. So they were suitably impressed. But I wanted them to tell Bob about it. You're a four-time winner of the James Beard Award. Now, for those people who don't know, what is the James Beard Award? Uh, well, it's the Oscars of the food industry, my friend. That's what I would have. That's what we would have figured. Yeah. For uh, for as long as they've been awarded, it is the thing that you chase the most if you were in my business. And what are the categories? Well, there are dozens and dozens. It's everything from books to restaurant design to websites to short form and long form video to TV programs, uh, host, uh, best TV host. Uh, I think it used to be best TV host, then it became best TV personality. Uh, there's best chef assigned to regions. There's best wine list, best service, best bar. If you win that and then all the other major awards, that would that would be a Jabigat. You would, you would have the Jabigat. Yes. Yes. Well, I have right. an Emmy. I, I just won an Emmy in November, which I'm very proud of. Uh, and thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that a Tony, an Oscar, or, or a, a Grammy could happen. Could happen because there's spoken word categories for Grammy and other things that I could figure my way uh, into. Uh, but it'd be very, very difficult. I am 99%, no, I am 100% sure of this. I am the only person to have won the Personality of the Year Award three times, which I is actually one of the things I'm most proud of because while I've won a lot of awards, to be relevant for that long and to win it that often in a category where so many dozens of other people could have easily have won it is something that is a tremendous source uh, of pride. But does that mean you, you had a great personality for three years? Correct. And the other years, I had less than a good personality. Right. It's the confusion of it. I mean, you're the one who could sort this out. You're, you're the one. I don't want to point fingers, but in the sports world, that whole thing with most valuable player versus best player. Right. It's the ongoing argument. And if somebody is, you know, the best player, if someone really is the GOAT, Right. Shouldn't they be winning the MVP award all the time? Because if you took them away sure. from their team, regardless of how they did that season, but people judge it season by season. And then there's this other thing that you did where you took away what I call dodgeball mentality. And I think that's affected the awards world as well. In other words, they want to spread the love around. And I understand that because we want to lift up people who have been disenfranchised. And so bravo, good on you. Thank you for doing that. We're yeah. all more aware of that. But by the same token, I don't like to dilute it. It's like I wanted my kid to play dodgeball in school, but they don't let them play dodgeball anymore. My ideal state of society would be to have an incredibly diverse group of people of every gender, color, description form the tiny, tiny group that rules everybody else. 
That's what I would like. I just said that on a political podcast yeah. the other day. I, I actually think what I said was that all of the women of color that have been elected to public office over the last two years, plus Stacey Abrams and Latasha Brown, who brought yes. in Warnock and Ossoff uh, and delivered them into the Senate, let those people run everything. Just let them run everything. They're literally a thousand and O. It's like the most winning team of all time. Like, just put them in charge of it. Put them in charge of everything. That's exactly right. And that's why it's not going to happen because I don't I don't want a thousand. I don't want full confidence. It's not what I'm looking for. Uh, down there. Okay. It's not what I want. It's not how we learn. No one is looking to me for guidance and help if everything's going hunky-dory. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need a lot of problems. I need human misery. Hence the invention of Ted Cruz. Precisely. Okay, precisely. gotcha. I'm going to get to the stuff that I know the listeners want to hear. Let's get right to it. Favorite brains. Oh, wow. Very, very difficult, but I'm going to go calf. Second is squirrel. Squirrel brains. Yes. The, uh, very small. I'm not making a joke. They have the best aromatic and nutty flavor in the brain category. The problem is they're small. You have to crack a lot of skull to get them. So if you go squirrel hunting, you do a lot of butchering, you pan fry all the meat, and then you have the pile of the skulls, typically steamed or roasted. And then those people that like them will sit there with a tiny little mallet, usually a crab cracker will do, and you just tap them or crack them with your fingers if you're really good, and you suck the brains out of the head. Calves' brains, on the other hand, are something that, you know, they're, they're small. They're, they're about the size of two golf balls. You get both lobes and pan-seared, uh, pan-deglazed with lemon and capers and brown butter. I'm not sure there's a better food to schmear on toast in all of God's world than calves' brains. And you're eating the thing that was the last part of that animal to realize it was about to die. Correct. I, I, and the taste of that is savory. I know. It, it's delicious. I do a lot of eating that other people would find immoral. I mean, I very publicly have eaten Ortolan. I've eaten other things. I've, eat, I've never knowingly eaten an endangered species because I, I just, I'm too much of a environmentalist to even go near that place. Now, I know what Ortolan is. Can you explain to the listeners what Ortolan is for those who don't know? Ortolans are very small French songbirds. They're like hummingbirds. Uh, they're typically drowned in brandy, sometimes stuffed with foie gras and then roasted. And you eat them whole, holding onto the beak. But the real selling point of this dish is that tradition has it that the wealthy who ate these birds in medieval Europe would cover their heads with cloths so that God wouldn't see their shame while they ate something so delicious and succulent. Which is ridiculous. I see shame under any circumstances. There's nothing you can do that will hide your shame, period. That's what I said when I ate them on TV. All right, let's get back to the fun stuff. Balls. We're, we gotta, yes. We got to talk balls. Favorite balls, favorite testicles. If you could only eat one more testicle in your life, what would that testicle be? Large birds. Turkeys, uh, rooster, big big roosters, geese. Um, it's the perfect size. They have the perfect texture. They're not too creamy. They're not too firm. They're easy to clean. And they're, they really are delicious. I've made them for a lot of people and turned them into converts. Most balls, and I've eaten, I've eaten the balls of, I, it, the numbers in the 60s, the network long ago as part of a PR campaign counted. I've eaten the testicles and the rest of the junk of over 60 different animals. 
And in the ball eating world, size matters. You don't want something too small, but if they're too big, ultimately they've been frozen and it it just, you don't want it. If you're in a situation where you can have, uh, and I have taken, I've shot buffalo in the mountains of Santa Fe and taken the balls and cooked them right then and there, it's extraordinary. If you're on a ranch when it's nut clipping time and you have a chance to eat them fresh, they're extraordinary. But balls don't age well, and they should be eaten fresh, fresh, fresh. Uh, while we're while we're down there, I got to ask about penis. Yep. Tell us about your favorite penis, Andrew Zimmer. In Thailand, Vietnam, Myanmar, Laos, they all have a soup that uh, ox penis is cooked in. And it is an ox penis has to be cooked for a long time to become tender. Uh, and then it's cut into small sections and put into the soup. There's a, a Vietnamese soup called Bung Bo Hue that I am a huge fan of. In the it, it, Obviously, in the town of Hue, it's everywhere it's served. And it has several different organ meats in it. You can always order one just ox penis, and I love it. It's gelatinous. It's chewy. It has just the faint amount of beefy flavor. And when it's in the soup, you really don't think of it. When it's lying there on the table, the entire pizzle, and you're watching the chefs hack it up and throw it into the, the boiling liquid because it cooks for hours before it's tender enough to be put into the soup. It's you, you think about it, that's for sure. I should ask you, is there a limit to the kind of animals you would eat? Would you, for example, eat, let's say, kittens? Yes. How about uh, puppies? No. How about panda bears? It it depends on who's doing the cooking and who's doing the asking. I'm assuming you have made them not endangered anymore because I would never want to do that. They are not officially endangered. They are officially threatened. So that is one level beneath endangered. So here is your order area. Yes. Yeah, I won't won't do that because I don't want to encourage other people to do that kind of thing. But there is very – put it this way. There are very few animals that I will not – Try and and of course the big one is 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 human being. We we've, we've shot in countries where cannibalism was practiced, and we were always hoping we'd sort of fall upon a situation because we, you know we can't we can't create that situation ourselves. Number one, we never did that in the history of bizarre foods. Ginned up a situation, but if we were to do that with a human being, that would be called murder. And you know that's a big one. That's a Ten Commandments issue. It's part of the Big Ten. But I always thought if I just wandered into a, a, a clearing in the jungle and there were some people and the long pig, as they called it, was in the pot, how could I not? The, the, the greatest possession that I have in my brain is a catalog of flavors and textures of foods tasted around the world that no other human being alive possesses, right? I mean, I've got that list. So, of course, I want to keep adding to it. Of course, I would try those things. Have there been places you've gone where you explicitly in the back of your mind thought maybe there's a chance I'm going to get to taste some long pig on this one. Uh, there were several countries and trips that shall remain nameless where, yes, that was something that we were very much on the lookout for. And you would have not only tried human, but you would have shot it and put it on the show. Here's the thing. I would have. I'm not sure the production company would have sure. or the network would have. But the question has always just been put to me would I? And the answer is yes. Now, sitting here talking to you, the answer is yes. When push comes to shove, do I think I would have? Yeah, because I never got too nervous about another food. And I would be so anxious to see what it really tasted like. 
There are there are communities around the world that have been eating themselves for thousands of tens of thousands of years. Do you think different people taste different? And do you think different yes. parts of people taste different? Absolutely. It's just like anything. It's just like anything else. I mean, the top round is the top of your thigh. Sure. Okay. The, the back ribs are on your back. The spare ribs are on your chest. I mean, we, I could keep going on and on and on. The, so there, there's certain muscles on the human body that I would prefer over others. And everyone, or I should say every animal tastes of what it consumes. So I, I would be pretty persnickety about it. It's why in the tribal world, I think people probably tasted pretty good because their diet was very limited to the nuts and fruits and animals that lived around them. Yeah, you're right. Different people do taste differently. And I've, I myself, I, I try them all the time. When I, when I do take human form, my preferred food is other humans mm. and every human being tastes different. Every part of the human tastes different. And yes. I'm like, when I eat a human, I'm like a native American with a Buffalo. I don't, I use every part. I yes. use every single part of the meat. Well, I appreciate that. And and you're the one who invented the the phrase nose to tail eating as the ultimate expression of it. Yes. And ironically, human beings used to have a, a tail. Correct. A vestigial tail. And then we you you lost it. Otherwise, I would be eating that too. But the nose, certainly I eat. The nose is the nose excellent. Is, the nose is delicious. It's, that's the, the, the cartilage. Wonderful. Yes. And you also invented the famous phrase, every part of the pig but the football. Yeah which is why we eat every part of that animal. So thank you for that. I invented a lot of shit, Andrew. Yeah. It's really, I am, I am pretty- You're busy pretty darn and impressive. prolific, I, yeah. Yeah, I do what I can. Now, obviously I need to, to make sure all the listeners understand that we are, we are kidding and we are having fun with this topic. Usually I use the phrase from my lips to God's ears, but I'm afraid that might be inappropriate right now or hyper appropriate, I'm not sure which. Yeah. And just to back Andrew up, Andrew is a good man. He would never eat the panda, which to me, I don't see what the problem is. I, If I were him, if I were anybody, I would eat panda. Panda is the most delicious bear meat that there is. But I want to leave Andrew out of it because he has chosen for whatever reason to Thank take you. the kind of Thank coward's you. way out and sort of say, I don't want to eat panda. Thank you. But okay. And obviously, and, and obviously, you know, when we're, we're asked uh, brother to brother to turn the other cheek, we're not talking about the the butt cheek and passing the mustard. So I'm joking about that as well. That's understood. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what we're saying is try not to to eat people. Try try everybody out there if you're listening, if to the extent that it's possible to avoid cannibalism, avoid it. Well, what's the famous line that you wrote? Come on, people now, smile on your brother. Everybody get together and try to love one another right now. Do I look like the young bloods, Andrew? I I just think that's what that's what we're that's what we're about. We're we're just kidding about eating our brothers and sisters. Yeah, no, I'm not saying you should commit cannibalism within the family among <laughs> siblings. Of course not. That would be terrible. I, strangers. I'm talking about strangers. So hold Again, on. Not a, Andrew's not involved it, in this. This is, is it, just me. Is it the word of God that incestual cannibalism is the the more perverse kind of cannibalism? Oh, eating your own brother or sister is sick. That is <laughs> sick. I just want to check. A stranger, it's a different thing. Obviously, that's okay. fine. But no, okay. no, no. Anybody closer to you than a cousin, that is truly gross. And I'm surprised you'd even 
think to even ask me that. I clarified, I clarified because the 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 beauty of this is I get to go to back to my friends and what did you do today at work? It's like, well, I had an hour-long talk with God, and then I, I can clue them into the wisdom to prove, you know, those are my bona fides, right? I mean, yeah, well, you can say my word or you can actually spread the message by manifesting my word and, you know, taking some of your friends and doing what I'm suggesting you do with them. Amen. Stick around. A second helping of Andrew Zimmer after this. Let me address the elephant uh, in the room. First of all, would you like to eat the elephant in the room? I, I've i never tasted elephant. I have too much respect for the animal kingdom to do so. Elephant in the room, metaphorically, vegetarianism, veganism. Uh, you obviously are neither of those things. The number of people subscribing to plant-based diets in this country, in this world is growing. People, some are seeing it as a dietary imperative, also in some cases, a moral one, an environmental one, a planetary one. How would you respond to people who see what you do and say, Andrew emphasizes meat too much. He should focus more and encourage more eating of plant-based products. Well, I will put my plant-based eating history up against anyone's. In our show, we have tried not to be too meat-focused, although people do remember the meat stuff or the giant fish or the big cephalopod or the the giant grub or worm uh, more than they do the Ethiopian palm bread set that is rotted underneath the ground for months at a time until it's finally taken out and cooked in all of its blue-veined glory. I will say, however, that if you had asked me what's the biggest change in my personal eating life away from the camera over the last 10 years, I try to do uh, vegan before dinner. I just feel better. I have more energy during the day. I have probably cut my own personal meat eating down by about 60%. I still love it. We've gone to a much more uh, of a plant-based menu in my house over the course of the last 10 years for all the reasons that you cited. They, it, it, we, if we could just cut our meat eating in America by another 7 8%, and we can do that by, by you know taking a meal or two a week, not for pleasure, I think that's the big elephant in the room. Uh, you created us as lotus eaters, right? We, we are pleasure-seeking animals. But in the history of human existence, we've only been eating for pleasure for a short period of time. And if we could just take a couple meals not for pleasure, take a couple of meals from different resources, and we depressed our reliance on these factory farm meats, uh, well, dropped our meat consumption by 70%, we would virtually eliminate the need for factory farm meat. That's how close we are to achieving that goal. And that's the place that gets into destruction of the environment, harm to animals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I also think the easiest way for anyone to get into it and start doing it is to actually eat an appropriate amount of meat. American culture is the only culture on earth where you have 20 ounces of meat as the center place of your plate, a half chicken, a giant steak, two big pork chops, and then there's a giant baked potato and a salad bar attached to it. I I would encourage people to eat four ounces of animal protein if you're going to eat animal protein at dinner and surround it with beans and farinaceous foods and legumes and salad and green uh, vegetables and other cruciferous vegetables and 
and really make more of a smorgasbord of it and keep bringing those foods out each day. It's a much, much healthier way to live. So of the many societies that you've visited all over the world, there aren't any societies, be they first world, third world, tribal, what have you, that rely on meat as much as America does? No. Although statistically, I'm sure we'll get a lot of letters that there's, you know, the the German state of Bavaria, their meat consumption, or there's, I'm sure there's a state in Australia that beats ours. But we are all about meat, pleasure, consistency, convenience, speed. I mean, uh, American culture, as much as I love it, and quite frankly, I, I make a living off of it, I'm in it, I'm a, I'm a creature of it, is something that we really need to, to change and take a look at. Often on the show, you bewail the influence of American culture on other countries' cuisines, yes. particularly the influence of processed foods, Yes, which, of course, are indeed very damaging to both the human body and to cultural and integrity uh, in general. Well, it eradicates it in other smaller countries. I mean, literally eradicates it within a generation. They're struggling with that in Vietnam right now. And Pacific Islands as well. I know yes. people just like Fiji and Samoa where they're all, yes. obesity is rampant and yes. because they're all eating canned food and processed food. Yes. Well, I mean, the, the fact that we damaged their entire ecosystem by exploding nuclear materials over there for years and years in testing didn't help either. In my series, What's Eating America on MSNBC, we did an episode on immigration and we profiled Pacific Islanders that are living in Arkansas right now. And I would encourage everybody to go to msnbc.com and check out that show. There, there's it's a wonderful profile of what the issues really are there. And these people got screwed over three times. The third one being that we gave them certain rights to citizenship, but it's not really a full citizenship because you're not allowed to vote. So the Pacific Islanders make up the largest workforce and the single largest ethnic population in towns like Springdale, Arkansas, yet they're not allowed to vote. I believe you're referring specifically to the Marshall Island Correct. population, because Correct. for various reasons of sort of happenstance, there's a huge expat community of them living in Springdale, Arkansas. That is that is correct. It was a it was I, I believe the way it started, if I'm remembering correctly, was uh, as a host city, a safe sanctuary city. And then the Tyson chicken plant gave them all jobs and has tried to do right by them, uh, but refuses to help them find a path to citizenship, which is crazy because the Tyson Chicken Company can do whatever it likes in Arkansas. It can write any law it wants. It's the largest business there. It's, I mean, they, their influence in Arkansas is legendary, but they won't go out on a limb to the very people that put the chicken into the pot, as it were. Amazing. Well, I promised you a, a surprise treat at the end of this, and I want to give it to you right now. No one is more worthy of this rare honor than you, Andrew Zimmern. I have prepared a couple of meals for you that are special to say the least. Uh, the first one is, I have two, and the first one is, this is dodo. Dodos, as you know, went extinct hundreds of years ago, but I know a guy, I am that guy. Right. And I made dodo ragu. This is dodo ragu, sort of the traditional Mauritian way, stewed with curry and vegetables. We're gonna give you a plate right there. I'm very, I'm very excited. You're the first person to have this in, in 300 years, and you will be the last person to have this forever. So let me know what you think. Please be honest. Just remember, I did create this myself. Well, first, can I give you some honest criticism? Uh, 
Okay. I think you can handle it. I'm not often great with criticism, but go ahead. You're my guest on the show, so go ahead. The 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 meat itself is so delicious because of the dodo's diet that I'm not sure the the best use of it is to cover it up with such a delicious and flavorful sauce. That being said, the dish is fantastic. And I like and I like these kinds of ragus to have a lot of heat to them and there's the appropriate amount of chilies in there. So it's it's really really quite delicious. I okay, okay. prefer a dodo spatchcocked and grilled to medium rare and let it rest to medium before it's, uh, and, and I, I prefer to eat it simply. And obviously the meat behind the back of the beak is the, the best bite on the bird. Andrew, I agree with you hundred percent. And this whole rag, thick sauce ragu thing, that was, that was Jesus's idea. That was not my idea. I wanted it exactly the way you described <laughs> because I understand how these birds are meant to be eaten. And I'm looking at Jesus right now, and I'm sorry to embarrass you, buddy, kiddo, but you you screwed this up. And we discussed this, and we'll talk about this more after the show, but this is obviously going to be an issue. Okay, one more thing I have for you. This Mm -hmm. is Mastodon Shank. And you'll be happy to know this is served the traditional Cro-Magnon way, which is raw. This is just raw Mastodon. Now, I, I hate to say you, you had me at, at, at you know, Cro-Magnon style, but that to me is the best way to taste uh, a piece of meat. Raw, I'm able to take out just a sharp stone and pull a piece away from the bone. It's pretty tendony, it's pretty tough, but once you've worked through it a little bit, that irony nickel flavor, like you're eating a stone from the bottom of the river, uh, is one of the great pleasures of Mastodon eating. I'm glad I could cross this off my list. Andrew, I have to confess something. I played a little bit of a trick on you. No. That is not real Mastodon. That is impossible Mastodon. Ah! My angels in the lab cooked this up, but it tastes, does it not, just like real Mastodon? It does. I had you fooled, didn't I? Yeah, that is some spec. They did a better, they did a better job with that than they did with their Italian sausage. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They're, they're they really did. good. They're, they haven't gotten the mammoth right yet. That still <laughs> tastes like string beans and sawdust. But uh, the impossible Mastodon is really good. And uh, once Mastodons come back as cloned animals and are once again eaten by human beings, the ones who had cloned them, we can bring that back, the impossible Mastodon. And I think that's going to be a big, big hit. It's going to be huge, literally. Anything you want to promote? Go to D+. And see all of my shows. People can watch decades worth of Andrew Zimmern programming from Driven by Food to, you know, All-Star Academy, Delicious Destinations, Bizarre Food. My new show for Magnolia Network is there, Family Dinner. But as always, the best, the best place to go is andrewzimmern.com. You can connect to my social, our YouTube channel, subscribe to our new Instagram live show that's also on YouTube called AZ Cooks. We have a lot of cool stuff going on. It's all on andrewzimmern.com. And to give you a sense of what a wide array of material you have there, I prepared a list. I'm going to read it very briefly, A to Z, some of the foods you've eaten. Armadillo, beaver, cobra, dormice, eel, frog heart, grasshoppers, hakarl, iguana, jellied moose nose, kidney, comma, camel, llama jerky, magui worms, nutria, opossum, porcupine, quail, rat, silkworm grubs, tarantula, udder, viper, ice cream, wallaby, Ox intestines, had to cheat on that one, X is tough. Yak penis, and one day, it's going to be Zimmern, eating Zimmern. One day, I believe Andrew Zimmern 
will just try a little bit of himself and give himself a fantastic review. You could have put zebra in there because I've eaten zebra in the show. But I will say, and, and this is the honest truth, we always thought if we could ever know what the last episode of Bizarre Foods would ever be, we would do it sort of soprano style and I would just eat my own hand as we're, as we're going out to the credits. That would be beautiful. You know me. What can I say? You know me, you get me. I totally get you, Andrew Zimmern, and I appreciate you stopping by the studio today. Andrew Zimmern, everybody. You're the best. Thank you. Joe, did you enjoy my interview with Andrew Zimmern? Ah, oh, it was fantastic. What a sweet man he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talking about eating a lot of uh, bizarre things, huh? Mm-hmm. Did you hear the part about eating uh, eating humans? I did hear the part about eating humans. Yeah, when you were in the height of the war and things got really desperate, did you ever have to eat people? Oh, in the trenches? No, we never had to eat people. But we did. Okay, we'll be back next week. Until then, do nothing but wait breathlessly by your computer for the return of Godcast. Godcast is a Forever Dog production. Audio production and engineering by Left Handed Radio. Executive produced by Alex Ramsey, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and David Jabberbaum. Original music by Gabe Lopez. Joan of Arc appears courtesy of Tara Sands. For more original podcasts, visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free episodes and exclusive bonus content from this show and others, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. And if you haven't already, remember to follow God on Twitter at the Tweet of God. Forever. <laughs>